Welcome to day 10 of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast, daily at the New York Film Festival, the 57th New York Film Festival. And all throughout the festival, we're providing background context and audio from a number of our Q&As and conversations during this year's festival. Uh, Shortly, we're going to have the complete audio from this past weekend's extended conversation about the Cotton Club. Francis Ford Coppola was here this weekend with Cotton Club Encore, which is a remastered, recut, um, an extended director's cut of the film. And he presented the film here on Saturday afternoon at a rousing screening. Uh, Coppola was a, was a real rock star as he made his way around campus on Saturday. Uh, he was here with his daughter, Sophia, and other family members. Uh, but he was on stage with uh, James Remar and Maurice Hines talking about the film. And we'll get to that audio in a little bit. Um, as we look ahead to this year's festival, and we encourage those listeners who are who have been tuning into this podcast to make sure to sign up for our newsletter and uh, follow us on social media to find out about all the stuff that's happening throughout this year's festival. There's still a number of free talks that are coming up later in the week, and we want to highlight a couple of them on Tuesday, Tuesday the 8th at 2 p.m. and then later in the evening at 7 p.m. We're going to be celebrating two folks who have not only a long history with the film festival, but also uh, a long history with the city of New York and certainly with film culture, both of whom passed away in the past year. Ben Barinholtz was a legendary distributor. Some people called him the king of the midnight movie. And he... um, He'll be celebrated by a number of really close friends at a 2 p.m. talk that will include film clips. Um, John Turturro, the actor, along with filmmaker Ethan Cohen, Eamon Bowles, who's the head of Magnolia Pictures, uh, will be here as well. And that conversation will be moderated by film critic and writer Annette Insdorf. Later in the evening at 7 p.m., we're going to be celebrating Agnes Varda. And her film, Varda by Agnes, is playing later in the week. And she's also subject of retrospective that Film at Lincoln Center will be hosting later this year. Varda's daughter and collaborator Rosalie Varda will be here along with MoMA's chief film curator Raj Roy, film critic Karen James, and others to talk about Agnes Varda and her impact and also her upcoming film. So we're really thrilled to have um, a number of these um, events and free events that we can make available to our to our listeners and to our audience here. And there's other talks happening throughout the week. We hope you'll uh, visit filmlink.org to get more information and continue to tune in daily to our Film at Lincoln Center podcast every day at the New York Film Festival. But for now, let's take a listen to that conversation, the full conversation about Cotton Club with Francis Ford Coppola, James Remar, and Maurice Hines. Um, Francis, I just want to begin by saying it's astonishing the sheer breadth of talent in this movie um, on every single level. (laughs) Um, And uh, casting Julian Beck as a gangster is just like one of the... (laughs) I'll tell you a funny story about Julian Beck. What you said is true. When a director is surrounded with such a sea of young and exuberant and beautiful talent as I was in this picture, 
it's one of the things why I couldn't leave it alone because, yeah. as I said before, so many of the principal players are gone and other other people, but but the talent that was there was really, uh, and I hope to tell you a little bit about them in a few minutes we have together. But Julian Beck is an interesting, those of you who are too young to know, he and Judith Molina were the living theater and he had very long hair. Yeah. And when I cast him, when you do a period picture, uh, most of the men don't want to touch their hair because you know they, so so, but you make them. But Julian Beck had this very long hair and he told me it will never be a problem, I assure you, and I believe him. And uh, he had basically a long ponytail, very, very long. And what he would do is he would put it up in like a bun. If we were shooting him from the left, it would be on the... <laughs> and you never, you never saw it. <laughs> but he, he knew, he himself knew how to place it. And uh, the, the, the long, he had the very, very long hair, but you never knew it. Wow. <laughs> What was it like for you, James and Maurice, to go back and look at this film again and to see it in this beautiful well, transformation? Well, for me, it's it's a little hard because my brother yeah. has passed away, and and he looks so beautiful. He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. Honey. Beautiful, you know. And what was what what's wonderful about it? Francis is just a fabulous person. Besides being a great director, he was a fabulous person, and he and he just you wanted to do good for him. And what was one of the big things in our life for that my our grandmother was an original Cotton Club showgirl, and so we brought her to the set one day, and she looked at the set, and she said, "I got to meet this Coppola man. I got to meet this Coppola man." I said, "Why, Granny? Why?" She says, "Because I was a young girl." When I, when I did this, when I was a showgirl, and it looks just like, I, w I was wondering if he was gonna catch it, and it looks just like when I was a young girl. And we were so proud to be there for Granny, you know? And I gotta tell you, Francis is not only a great director, he's really a great person. Because we, Gregory and I wanted, I had never done a movie before, and Gregory had done a few movies, and, and he said, Maurice, you know, this is not the ordinary way. You know, because Francis is just a one that you want to do good for him. You want to, you want to be great for him. And I really did. I wanted to be really good for him. Was that good, Francis? You were wonderful. <laughs> you were wonderful. <laughs> and and it was uh, it was great. All our friends were in it. Uh, the young girl who played our, our sister, were known as here, and she was in it. And all these wonderful dancers, they just loved Francis. All the girls, they said, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> he didn't okay. know that. But, but I want to say something about the, the Cotton Club beauties because, of course, I was directing this picture. And many of my friends, some of whom you honored <laughs> recently, yeah, they all ago. wanted to meet these Cotton Club. And I have to say something about those, those women. They were the, the most ladylike, wholesome, good young ladies I think I've ever met because despite the fact that they were so pretty and they were so alluring and they were uh, dancing and what have you, but they, they were really, they were really ladies, mm -hmm. every one of them. They were so kind and so supportive. I could tell you so many stories because th this movie was a little bit like being made on a, on a wharf during a war because there yeah. were two entities that oh. were at war. And uh, of course, I, I had the contractual right to to be the the determining the captain of the ship, as it were. But the other, some of the other people didn't 
didn't uh, were from fields where the contracts and stuff just get pushed off the table, which they did. And uh, it was really sort of very divisive at the time. And 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 the um, the cast was my comfort because they they saw they knew what was going on, mm. and they uh, they were so kind and, and and they were such young ladies I'll never forget them. James, I'm going to ask a request. Yeah. I'm looking at the sea of people. Where is my daughter? So, would Sophia, Sophia just wave her hand so I know where she? Okay, now I know. Sophia is there. I won't. I won't. The dingbats. Yeah. <laughs> now I know where, where my my family is. <laughs> okay. James, you wanted to. Uh, oh, I can. I can say that it. This feels like the premiere that the Cotton Club should have gotten. Um, that, well, it's it's almost forty minutes longer. This is a, longer it's than, almost thirty some odd minutes longer than when we opened it. it and and it and it and it, it doesn't it doesn't drag at all. It it goes and goes and goes and. I think pacing was uh, uh, an issue initially, and, and and people complained about it. But now it's just it just well, goes like a the locomotive. The thing is, when you sometimes when you make a, a film shorter, you're really making it longer because the people don't understand the story, and they're not as involved. So it you know it was one number after another. But here, first of all, it has its balance back because it was always two interwoven principal stories, one white and one black. <laughs> and it was equally balanced. And when it got, you know, when things are out of balance, they start to fall apart. Obviously. I also have to ask: Is Gretchen Renell here? Gretchen, are you here? She's your casting director. I remember. Yep, yep. And she, but I guess she didn't make it to the screening. But I heard from her earlier. She did an amazing job. Um, and uh, I guess that what we should do is is perhaps open it up for questions. And yeah, right there, right there. I'll repeat the question. Was it difficult to secure the rights to the music? Uh, the, the, interestingly, uh, the music was mostly from a company called Mills Music, and we made an overall deal with them. It caused a problem for this version, though, because we made an overall deal with them for all of the rights of the many, many wonderful uh, music involved. But when uh, I can understand how the other side felt, well, you know, it's too long, it's too much dancing, too much tap dancing, uh, and in those days they felt too many black people. Uh, they, I guess they were, you know, what was this, 20 years ago? It was 35 years ago, they, right? Wasn't it? No, it was 1980. You know, I remember when, I, I'll give you an example. I remember when I was a kid, a uh, 17-year-old, the first black person I ever met was named Doug, and it was in college, and I sat next to him, and he, I, I was about 20, you know, almost 20 years old. So that shows what our lives were like. We didn't have the opportunity to, to make friends and to, to know people. So I remember reading a book by, I guess, Arthur Clark called uh, Childhood's End. And it was this classic science fiction. And in Childhood's End, there is a there is an African-American character who's principal in the story, and he's there at all the things. And, it, it, and I remember reading the book and thinking, it's so odd. That's so strange. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting, but... It was not what our life was like, so that I think when the film came out and they said too many, uh, too, too, too many black people, I think the people weren't used to the to to the real principle about how that works. Is that when you become friends with people, 
you, you no longer, you say, oh, that's Joe, that's Lou, that's so-and-so. You don't know who they, what their group is anymore because they're, you know, like, for example, Danny DeVito is a tiny, tiny person. But when you know him, he's a, when you know him, he's a gigantic person, you know, because his personality is, yeah. so, is, so the key is friendship, because that when you make friends with people, then you really know who they are. I remember once Danny told me, I had him going up the stairs, and I kept making him do it over and over, and he says, Francis, it's hard for me to get up the stairs, and I hadn't thought of it. So I, what I would say about the criticism of the, uh, the, the folks who felt it was too long and there was too tap, uh, tap dance and too many black stories, people weren't used to intimate family life of other folks that they hadn't had the, the, the privilege of being friends with. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I, I sort of, I sort of, I guess in perspective, I understand what was going on. Then, to, then I was just terrified that they were gonna come and take the film away, which they threatened and there was a big law case and they, and they tried to do that. But I, I see it differently as I now see everything differently and I certainly see this film differently. And in fact, I'd like to say something that's outrageous and my family will, will think it is, but you know, I would really like tonight, there's such a beautiful reception of this incredible collection of talent. There's one talented person Controversial, but but nonetheless talented, and I want to dedicate the movie to him tonight, if I if I may, and and that's to Robert Evans. Mm. The kid stays in the picture. <laughs> I, I I had hoped I had hoped, despite all of the past warfare and what have you, I had hoped you know he's he's about I guess ten years uh, older than me, and I had sort of hoped he could come and be here and share it, and he, was, he wasn't uh, well enough to do that. But, but uh, you know, he was, a, he was the originator of the Cotton Club. He was gonna direct it, in fact, and I, I, uh, and I was sort of sucked into it. I thought I was, that he just suddenly was scared that it was such a big project, but in fact, the real problem was that they didn't have the financing. <laughs> and they felt if they, had gotten, if they had gotten me hooked up, that they might. But nonetheless, you know, he, it was his idea to do it. He put together so many of the talented people before I even arrived on the scene, Milena Cananero, uh, the people who did the extraordinary musical reconstruction because it really sounds just like that music of that time. And that, that was, uh, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, and, and he was the one who cast Gregory Hines and, uh, and uh, Richard Gere. And the problem he had, why he first, suckered me in <laughs> is that uh, they Richard Gere did it on the condition that he would not be a gangster that he would only do it if he could be a cornet player or a trumpet because he really did play the cornet and and so the problem was that there never had there were no white musicians in the cotton club ever so here here was a guy saying he wouldn't be a gangster and he would only be it if he could be a musician and 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 uh, with these givens and so uh, i got a phone call from uh, robert evans uh, who was not my best friend at that time and and then he was very he was very touching and he said francis i have a big problem with my child you have to help me and i said i knew he had a kid and I said, what is it? How can, what can I do? You know, I'm a sucker for kids, always have been. And, and I said, what can I do? How can I help? And, and then he said, well, it's my movie, The Cotton Club. <laughs> and I said, all right. Uh, he said, I have a big problem, and, and, and can I come and see you and bring the two actors, uh, 
uh, who were were the two. Uh, uh, and the problem, and they sat with me, and that's when Richard Gere told me he, he would only do it if he could be a musician uh, and play in the Cotton Club Orchestra, but he couldn't because there never had been a, a, a white cornet player in it. And of course, Gregory was just the most wonderful person. You just fell in love with him as soon as you knew him. And I said, well, let me noodle it, let me think. And, and that noodling it, step by step each time sucked me in deeper and deeper and then he would say oh you have to be the writer you have to do it and I said okay I'll give you three weeks for free and I'll do my best and he told and I did my best and he said oh the script is so great uh, and the idea is so great but then later when we were arguing he said I thought it was a piece of whatever so, so it was this it was this strange process where little by little I kept getting suckered in and suckered in and suckered in until ultimately he wanted me to direct it I said I won't go through what I went through on the Godfather with you second guessing me every minute and I, I just won't do it and and I said what I will do is you direct it you were the you were the director and I'll come for a week and sit there and be you know the sort of security blanket and I'm sure you'll do fine and I'll just fade away and he said, no, no, only you could do it. Uh, and uh, then he, he did the fatal thing for me. He said, would you just come? And, and, and in fact, Sophia came when we did that. He said, I'll fly you and your family in New York, and I just want you to meet the talent. And then they put on this extraordinary show, and I met, I met all of the people who were in the movie auditioning and doing these real uh, reconstructed numbers they had worked on from the Cotton Club, and it was pretty... Uh, evident what a wealth of talent it was, and uh, and that's how I ultimately. And but the first week, uh, I had the total control, final cut, and all that. The first week is I, I cast uh, Fred Gwynn to be Frenchie, and he. <laughs> And, and I got an irate phone call from Bob. He says, I will not, I will not, what, what was he famous for? Um, Munsters. I will not have a Munster in my movie. <laughs> and I said, that's it. You can't even come on the set. And the whole the set was back and in, in, in forth warfare. And, and some of the people who had financed this picture were very, um, I don't know how to say it, but very... Did, did he like the idea of Joe D'Alessandro as Lucky Luciano? Oh, I, that was my idea. An, I'm, I'm sure he it was, was your idea, Luciano. but it's an amazing idea. He was great. Yeah. But yeah. The, the funny thing is that all of a sudden, some heavyweight from Chicago came and <laughs> was sitting on the set and was watching everything. And this was a little scary. But the most amazing thing happened is he was bright, and he realized that what I was trying to do, I ought to do. And so this heavyweight uh, uh, ultimately was my protector during the picture. And he's credited on the movie. That was Joey Cusumano. Right. Uh, so, so, you know, basically, what do I know about life? Is that you don't know what's coming next. And, but I, I'm sincere when I, when I say I'd like to dedicate the, the screening tonight and the wonderful response uh, to Bob Evans, because I'm sure by doing that, he'll hear about it. And in a way, he'll he'll realize that uh, he is he is definitely part of the, of the Cotton Club so thank you you know i there's so many more things to talk about but there's another show coming in and they're ushering us out i just uh, uh you, can, put a, four more questions i think we i think we can only do one more question if we i do. can answer them really fast to, yeah okay what well, <laughs> shout the question out and i'll repeat it okay 
Well, you there was that's in the dialogue the is that yeah. uh, Oni always wanted the real Oni always wanted to be on a horse ranch, and he used to draw pictures of horses. And at the end, and he died on a horse ranch. He went on on a horse ranch. So it, most of what's in the movie is based on it's assembled from lots of things with the wonderful uh, collaboration of William Kennedy, who was uh, my collaborator. But it's all based on real stuff. Everything in it really happened. Yes. Influences on the musical numbers. Well, my family, my family is all in that business, and my uncle, who is here, was was the original conductor of New Faces of '52, and, and he's the a boyfriend. Hundred and, 100 and your he, uncle. He, is? He's here. Wave your hand, yeah. Uncle Kiki. He's a hundred and two. Yeah, there he is. He was he he was the one he he he, he was the one who met the young Julie Andrews, who was probably about 19 years old and thought she was an extraordinary talent and ultimately conducted My Fair Lady. So I've been in, in the musical, uh, I've been, in, I've been in, in love with musical theater all my life, yes. Francis, they're cutting us off, I'm sorry. <laughs> we have to make room for the next show. <laughs> been listening to the film at lincoln center podcast our opening music is by steelism you can subscribe on itunes stitcher and spotify film at lincoln center is a nonprofit arts organization based in new york city and supported by individuals just like you for 50 years we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals series retrospectives and new releases the publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. 